because this is really good uh, for the kids out there. Go get every dollar you've got and gamble it. I clearly prefer Jackal. It's a huge bag of wet possum dicks and leaves the door open for me. Some people say you don't believe. Playmaker, you're going to be the gooper this week. I didn't enjoy that, but I had to put it together. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic. It's game time. So to me, that would be a good way to open it up. Yes. You know, so yeah, there's definite appeal there. Oh, no, we just lost our under 20 demographic. It was a fizzer. So where do young people go when they're not uh, catching passes at the Steelers, Tay? Someone like the Jets will probably throw a massive coin at him to try and send his career into a tailspin. Hot diggity dog. I'm an optimist. I, I like having lots of options. Because, I mean, we see this all the time. We see three for twos. We see two for ones. Honestly, mate, that'd be enough to make me play well. This is a game my wife and I play at home, and you're like, whoa! <laughs> this is the Astro League. It sounds so weird in, like, an Australian accent. The Astro League. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> the Astro League podcast. I think my sheriff's decision is I, I just wouldn't do it during the season. Well, g'day, g'day, and welcome to the Astros Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Maddie C. I am the host of the show. I'm commissioner of the league. Oh, and sadly, for the second year in a row, I am not in the playoffs. And, and that triggers a few things for me. Uh, it has been a really successful run for the Kings. And these last two years, I've missed the playoffs by just the barest of margins. And it's kind of got me doing a bit of soul-searching, a bit of reflection. And, uh, and the Kings have definitely got an announcement later in the show. Heaps to come on the show, too. We've got the playoffs approaching as they kick off next week. We've got everything decided now. We're going to go through all the results, the final divisional standings, the final overall standings. A look right now at two, who's in the playoffs, who they are, and a bunch of information around that playoff picture. And also just one final look at how all the expected wins data lined up this year. All right, well, what did week 14 even teach us? There was uh, a little bit of a feeling that maybe we were going into a weekend full of dead rubbers. And it turns out that uh, actually quite a bit was on the line. Taylor versus Joel was a head-to-head matchup in the South. And there weren't any implications really for the number one seed. It was going to take a lot to change that. Turns out it actually got pretty close. But um, it, there was definitely implications for the four and five in the overall, which would turn into the five and six seeds, the wildcard spots. Ryan versus Brendan actually had implications on everything, all the way from two down to six, depending on how those results went. Jackal versus Hayden or, or Scuba, whoever was playing this week, uh, decided... All of Jackal's playoff fate. And this guy got so close after such a long time, it would have been a pity to see that change. Um, But then in lieu of that result, Adam versus me, uh, that would have really decided who made it if Jackal had not defeated Hayden or Scuba in that matchup. And then the other one that had some pretty big implications too was Pete versus Justin. Literally, it was the difference between Justin finishing 7th or 11th. Now, that's more than half the matchups, and there were some highlights and some lowlights in this week. So, let's get into the results. That's a tick in the win column. Number one. You lose. You suck. All right, so let's head across to the north for the last time this year with number two overall seed, Pete, who's top of that division, taking on the ninth-placed Justin and the Jizzpots. This is the second and third high-scoring teams in the whole league this year. One of them comes into the week nine and four. The other one comes in uh, seven, uh, sorry, six and seven, which is amazing to think. 
that uh, these two teams that are so close in scoring have such wildly different records. Three full wins between them. Now, Pete goes out and collects the win. Now, with all the points from James Connor <laughs> in that uh, Monday night game, Jiggity Jagger there just does enough. He gets the two touchdowns out of James Connor plus those yards and all those catches. It does enough for him to overtake Justin's Jizzpots. 123 to 110. It assures Pete the number two seed and a week off. This is his second trip to the playoffs and we'll get into his playoff history a little later on. But a big congratulations to Pete and his team, Jiggity Jagged Edge. The other matchup in the North Division was the 12th seed, Ken, the playmaker bobsled team coming up against TC from the Squazmongers. Now, this matchup, it was uh, already picked by Taylor to be the goober of the week, and, and he was right. TC, 109, Ken, 44.4. A really disappointing effort and a tough way to finish the year for Ken, who finishes 6-8. and eight. He was 6-5 and five only three weeks ago. In fact, at one stage, he was 6-3. and three. So he went on a, uh, a cataclysmic demise. Um, but it also means that, uh, actually, Taylor picks both these matchups right, which is a great start for him. He also gets the South Division where he goes up against the Struggle Town Sausage Dogs. This is number one going against number five in the overall. And it turns out this actually has implications for all kinds of things because Taylor, he goes out and throws up a 95, which is, you know, uncharacteristically low for the, him. Again, this is sort of three weeks in a row where he hasn't been able to eclipse 100. And comes into the week 10 and three up against Joel, who comes into the week eight and five. And Joel, he does marvelous stuff. He goes out and puts up 143.8 points. He really gives the super score of the week a real shake. And he does a enough in terms of scoring to improve his position from being the second wild card to being the first wild card, which will really matter when it comes down to the head-to-heads for next week. The other matchup in this round was 13th versus 14th, Jerry and the Gnomes versus Tim and the Crusaders. A tough one to pick, and it turns out less than a point separated them as it finished 92.1 to 92.8. Timmy gets the biscuits. This is the only one Taylor gets wrong this week in the divisional games. And uh, Timmy Tim finishes the week 5 and 9. It drops Jerry to 4 and 10 in a disappointing season. Let's go over to the east where there was plenty up for grabs. Now, this matchup was going to determine if Jackal lost, who was going to take that spot. Uh, if Jackal wins, it didn't really matter. And it turns out it also, there was a bit personally riding on it for me and Adam. I have uh, taken many a victory sip after this matchup because after all the years where I could not defeat Adam, including this year, finally got one back on him as my side goes and puts up the super score this week. The Carabao Kings finishing with two out of the last three weeks with the super score, having had three goobers through the year. That kind of unevenness should land you around seven and seven, and it does. Uh, Adam and the Queensland football team go and roll up a 90 which was a good week for him generally considering his season average is around about that and he finishes 6-7-1 first season out of the playoffs and I think impressively for Adam he's been in the season three years and he has been to the playoffs all three years had a record over 500 so this one is kind of I guess like the reality check of why this league is so tough his side had a lot of injuries he had Antonio Brown who was not only injured then suspended and it just was not his year but I want to give Adam a big hand for being such a worthy rival to me personally for these first four years of his inclusion in the league. But also, he's really benefited the league in terms of being someone who is really happy to take everyone's shit and dole it back. Just been a real good inclusion to the league. And uh, mate, I know this has been a tough year on you and you've been a super good sport. Thanks so much for everything you contribute to the league. Go and enjoy doing your next triathlon, mate. The reason this doesn't matter for Adam is because he lost. The reason it doesn't matter for me is because Jackal wins. He goes, the sixth seed overall on the week goes into play. Hayden 
and the $10 book aside, it's either Hayden or Scuba. I assume because they lost again that it is Hayden. But Jackal's quarantine goes and throws up 104, which is a great score. It's above average. The average for the week was around 102. He goes to 8 and 6, gets his historic franchise first eighth win, which is so tremendous. Hayden, sadly, it's been a tough year for him. But as a nine-year-old playing his first fantasy season with his dad, sounding like he's barely involved, four wins is an impressive start. Now he loses 72 to 104, and it means that Jackal goes on to win the division, and he's off to the playoffs for the first time in franchise history. I don't know if we've said this enough. Congratulations to you, Jackal. Over in the West, because it's an even year, the Cornhuskers got off to a great start early in the season and they continued it on. But gee, they hit the skids in the last couple of weeks. They come up against the fourth-placed Birdman, three versus four, a potential playoff preview here. And Brendan goes and throws up only 133. Now, this was Taylor's pick of the week for the top score. And uh, he didn't disappoint. He threw 133 up. Sadly, though, it's only good enough for third overall because it's behind the Kings and Jolio Struggle Town side. And that matters because Brendan goes into the week with a seven-point lead over Joel in total points. And because Brendan throws up 133 and Joel throws up 143, it means that they change spots in the wild card. Brendan goes ahead and gets the win too. So both he and Ryan finish nine and five on top of that division. And the scoring in there is what separates them. The other matchup in this division, uh, it's Seahorse and the Olakan Space Pirates finishing out his year of complete reversal of fortunes, having been the one seed last year. He's the 16th this year. But he goes and rolls up a fourth win on the year. His side goes and throws up 86 points against Marky Marks, Miami CMCs. Now, he had come into the week as a seventh in the overall, which is actually pretty good. He was 6-6-1, six, six and one, but uh, his team just kind of found a way to throw up an egg. Terry McLaurin had no points before he left that game injured, and just, yeah, it was one of those calamitous messes where everybody he put out there did nothing. His entire bench was full of dolphins who were on buys who were guys who were generally in his starting lineup as well so just a tough way to finish the season for marky mark turns out that's the only matchup i got wrong as well so both taylor and i going three for four this week in our astro league picks it's cool to be a space pirate going to do our carabar kings ten dollar hooker never looks so good i'm going to keep deleting everything i'll get wrong back to the drawing board for gnomes bad in itself was a hindrance. Bye-bye, loser. Time to check these standings too because as we see divisionally, uh, we've we've already got our division winners and we've got our wildcard teams picked. Most of this was selected last week and there was really only going to be some minor changes. Turns out on the year, the average score for the league was 102.95, which is almost exactly what it was last year when it was 103.0. The North Division led the way with 108.23 and as it should. Pete, the Jiggity Jagged Edge team, finished 10 and 4 with 1,660 points. Turns out it's only three more points than another team in the division. And no, it wasn't second place in the division. Second place was TC Squazmongers, who finished 7 and 7 with 1492. Justin and the Jizzpots, who finished with a losing record, 6 and 8, 1657 points. That's incredible that he scored almost as much as Pete, and Pete had four more wins than him. Extraordinary. And then to round it out, poor old Ken and the Playmaking Bobsled team who had just an unstoppable fire going on from about week eight onwards, couldn't win a game, and he finishes six and eight, 1250 points, which is amazing to think that this division had its worst team still roll up six wins. The next highest scoring division was the South. He finished with 106.2. Taylor leads the way in that one. The Vinegar strokes 10 and 4, 1,695 points. He had that huge scoring lead all year. Turns out by the end of the season, he leads Pete by 34. 
five points. And I mean, then Justin by only 38 points. So that huge scoring lead in this absolutely dominating lineup that he had is definitely not what I think people thought it was going to be around week six when he was really on fire. Jolio and the Snag Dogs finished second in that division, nine and five with 1565, so about 130 points behind. And then Timmy Tim and the Crusaders, five and nine, 1,316 points. And Jerry and the Gnomes, four and 10, 1370, round out the south. Let's head over to the West Division because they were third best in scoring and pretty much bang on the league average at 102.5 compared to 102.9. Now, Ryan's Cornhuskers lead that division by virtue of scoring because he and Brendan, who was in second place, the BJ's Brendox Birdman, were 9 and 5 each. But check this out. Ryan finishes with 1,579 points in scoring, just 17 points better than Brendan, who was 1,562. Rounding out this division, you've got Marky Mark, the Miami CMCs, who were 6, 7, and 1, because they had that tie with Adam earlier in the year, 1,450 points. And Seahorse rounds it out, the Space Pirates finishing 4 and 10, 1,140 points. Now over to the Astros' least division, the opposite of a beast division where, oh gosh, sadly we only averaged 94.24, but gee, it came down to it in the end. Jackal and the Quarantine win this division by a full win, 8-6, 1,327 points. From Matty C, the Carabao Kings, 7-7, seven seven, 1,454 points. Adam and the Queensland football team, 6-7-1, thanks to that tie with Marky Mark, 1,275 points. And then Hayden, All Scuba and the $10 Booker team, they finish 4-10, last year's champion side, going through their rebuild and doing it with a little bit of flair. Here's your overall standings now, and there are a couple of things on the line this year. It looked early on like the scoring record was going to go down because we haven't had a 14-game season since 2015, which was when it was last set, too. Brendan and the Birdmen scored 1,722 points. Then also, the other record that's in question there was points per game, which was set by my 2018 Carabao Kings team at 126.3 points. Now, both of these looked like they could have been set to fall. Brendan's points per game record... uh, for that 1,700 point season was 124. So both those pretty impressive scores. Uh, In Brendan's, it was a 12-team league that year. And uh, in my season, uh, there had been a whole bunch of scoring changes. So each of them kind of come with their own asterisks. This year, there is both those things. Firstly, there's the extra game, but then there's also even more scoring changes since my 2018 score. So when Taylor finishes as the number one overall seed, 10 and four with 1,695 points, he is only 30 points away from that record season that Brendan had, but he's also only a handful of points per game behind my scoring record. He finishes at 121.1 points per game. Congratulations on a great season, Taylor. I deserve it, number one. Here we are in second place with Pete and the Jiggity Jagged Edge team. 10 wins is a franchise record for Pete, and it's really, really impressive. He goes out and throws out 1,660 points, which is good enough for 118.6 points per week. A truly impressive season, Pete, and good luck in the playoffs. You don't even need to field a team this week. I'll give you the week off. We get into the wildcard teams now, where Ryan is third overall, the winner of the West. He's 9-5. and five. It's an odd year, and he often performs well in an odd year. I'm going to explain that in some depth a bit later on. He finishes with 1,579 points good for 112.8 points a week. And then Jolie O, who's second in the South, finishes fourth, 9-5, 1,565 points, good enough for 111.8 points a week, which edges out Brendan for the better of the wildcard spots. 
Birdman finished 9-5, 1,562 points. Only three points in it. Good enough for 111.6 per week. So, man, sometimes just one lineup decision can make such a big difference at this end of the year. The winner of the least, the opposite of a beast, is Jackal and the Jackal's Quarantine team, who are, the, you know, they go and throw up an 8-6, and six, which is fantastic. They are the last of the eight win teams and above. He finishes with 1,327 points, good enough for 94.8 points per week, which is pretty much dead on the average for the division at 94.2. Now you get into the teams who are outside the playoff bracket. TC Squazmongers are the best of the seven lost teams. There's four seven lost teams here. He's 7-7, seven and seven, 1,492 points at 106.6 a week. My side, the Carabar Kings, 7-7, seven and seven, 1,554 points. That's good enough for 103.8. Marky Mark and Adam both finished 6 Seven and one, uh, but the CMCs finished with one thousand four hundred and fifty points, good for one hundred and three point six per week. While Adams Queensland football team, they threw up ninety one point one a week, a total of one thousand two hundred and seventy five. Clearly winning a bit more than perhaps their scoring says they should have. Talking about winning more than you should have, this guy was the opposite. Justin and the Jizz Pots, 6-8. He finishes 11th, the poor guy, 1,657. We talked about how that's the third best in the league in scoring. It's barely behind Pete. 118.36 points per week. Now, one of these things is not like the others when you look at the teams below him. Ken in 12th, he throws up 6-8, and eight, but at 89.28 per week. Tim and the Canberra Crusaders finishes 13th, 5-9, and nine, 94 points per week. Jerry and the Gnomes, 4-10, 97 points per week. Hayden or Scuba and $10 Booker, 4-10 at 90.0 points per week. And Seahorse rounds it out. The Space Pirates finish it at 81.49 points a week. That's almost 40 points a week less than Jizzpots is scoring. And yet here he is with 8, 9 or 10 losses like those guys. Hey, he's diminutive and weak because he's only like 5'11", 180. But he's also not a Hall of Famer. Because he's not a great player. Straight out of the gate, this team is going to suck donkey balls. Saggy, <laughs> saggy donkey balls. This will be good. I can fill in for you on weeks where you just couldn't be bothered. That's exactly what we're talking about here. The moment has arrived, though, here is your playoff bracket. Taylor, the number one seed with all those points, 1,695. He earns a week off. The two seed, Pete and Jiggity Jagged Edge, 10-4, 1,660 points. Have a week off too while you're at it, mate. We'll see you guys in week 16. And here are your week 15 matchups. The number three seed, Ryan, who lines up with Pete's side of the bracket. He's 9-5, 1,579 points. Goes head-to-head again with his week 14 adversary, Brendan. The BJ. BJ. The Brendox Birdman, who also finished 9-5 and, and 1,562 points. So these guys met in week one. They've now met in week 14. They're going to meet in week 15. But it's also a rematch of the 2015 grand final, which Brendan won. Over on the other side of the bracket, we've got Jolio with his first return to the playoffs since 2015 was last year. He's kept the streak alive now. He goes to two years in a row. He is the five seed against the East winning Jackals quarantine. This is an eight and six division winner versus a nine and five wildcard. We often see the better wildcard beat this division winner. But you know what? Last year, we saw the opposite. We saw the the, the lowest winning division winning side, the, the team who won a division with the least wins, the fourth seed, get all the way to the grand final and actually look pretty good in the grand final for a little while there too. So nothing is for granted.
There's a lot of practicalities in this that we haven't explored at all. Gonna ask Taylor about it. Let's do that. I'm taking a page out of the sheriff's book. Mate, I think you should send a message and cut that idiot. Just had to note that for everyone. Just thought I'd let you know. There's my solutions to those. They have been straight stinked <laughs> And that's an ass. That's a part of an ass for anyone out there. Now, the playoffs is an interesting beast because it is nothing like the regular season. This is one of these things where any team can turn up and shirt front you over that one weekend, win and move on, and your record matters little. But Pedigree is with Brendan. He's made 13 appearances, has nine playoff wins, which is easily, both of those, the most in the league. He's tied for the most championships with two as well in 2012 and 2015. Have a look down the rest of the guys in the playoffs. Taylor has had seven playoff starts. He is three and four, and somehow with seven playoff starts over all those years, hasn't appeared in a grand final. Ryan, with also seven starts, is two and five, and has been to the big dance twice with no silverware. Jolio's got five starts. He is the only other guy with a winning record in the playoffs behind Brendan. Brendan's nine and four. Jolio is three and two. He went to that grand final back in 2010 and won it. Pete has made the playoffs just once, 2018. He did lose his opening playoff salvo. And Jackal is a debutant in the playoffs, as you know. So of our four combatants, and this is true of the entire top three, they are all hopeful first-time winners looking to add to our Hall of Champions. The last appearances for these guys, Brendan, he turned up in the 2017 Grand Final in a loss to my Carabao Kings. Taylor was in 2019 where he lost to Jerry in the semi-final. That gnome side was a very good team too. They put up a great score in a grand final and didn't win. Ryan, he was in the 2019 finals, of course, because it was an odd year. He was the one seed and he lost to Mark in the semi-final on Mark's year of destiny. Jolio in 2015 was a five seed and he lost to Brendan, who was a one seed and went on to win the title against Ryan. Pete, in 2018, when he made his playoff debut, actually lost to Taylor. So pretty interesting that he lines up opposite to Taylor. And if they were going to meet, they would have to be in a grand final. And lastly, Jackal is a brand new player in a field of plenty. So it's the franchise best season for Pete, as we said. He's got 10 wins. The last 10-win team to win the title was my Carabao Kings team in 2018. This is an equal franchise best two for the Vinegar Strokes, who went 10-3 in 2019, where, of course, as we spoke about, they crashed out in the semi-final loss to Jerry. We've talked about this in depth, too, that Ryan only makes the playoff in odd years. Now, let me tell you a bit about Ryan's odd year succession. Have a go at this. This is amazing. Truly amazing. And there's no rhyme or reason for why this is true. But we spoke about 2019, where he was the one seed, and he lost to Mark, who was the team of destiny that year, and went on to win the title. In 2017, he was the number two seed, and he lost to Brendan on his way to a grand final loss to me. In 2015, he was the two seed, and he made the grand final only to lose to bloody Brendan, who he'd lost to in 2017 as well. Turns out, two straight trips to the playoffs, he lost to Brendan both times. In 2013, this is the pre-wildcard era. He lost as a two seed in the semifinal to Simon, who went on to win the grand final that year as well, the Wallaga Lake Pigeons. And in 2011, this was Ryan's first year in. He was the one seed, and he had a grand final loss to Ken and the Playmaker team. Gee, they were the house in days of Ken making grand finals and winning them. It's all green lights and open doors in your life. Oh, there was a bit of lint in this hallway I walked down yes. the other day. Oh, and it pissed me off. Yeah, a little bit of sun got in my eye the other day. It was just really, really tough, mate. Like, oh. just, I'm really struggling to find some, some, some bad issues for me at the moment, but that one was definitely one that pissed me off. Now, before we wrap up the show, there's a couple of things I wanted to go through that are in season review. Firstly, some highlights and some lowlights. 
We know that the league's all-time highest score was set in week five. Now, Jizzpots, he threw up 165 points that week, which is a top five score all time. No one was talking about that, though, because in the same week, Ryan threw up 182. That's good enough to eclipse the old mark by 12 points. And that old mark was set by my Carabao Kings team in the 2018 Grand Final against Seahorse. The lowest mark was just this week. Ken shot a 44.4. It did beat the long-standing score that Queensland football team had threw up a, uh, a sad, truly sad 48 back in week seven. Turns out that mark was only lowering his own mark as the Queensland football team set a 55.1 back in week two. And he'd only just wrestled that freshly off me, who was the goober in week one with 61 points. Now, obviously, the big news in the league this year was where we saw Jackal, Mr. Worldwide, secure the eighth win, which is, of course, a franchise record for him. It guaranteed his playoff spot. So finally, 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 it's a massive moment for me. There are no active franchises awaiting a chance to make their playoff debut. And it goes a long way to tell me how competitive this league is and how great the opportunity is any year for anybody to put up a competitive team and be really interesting. So let's look back at the last few seasons and teams who've made their playoff debuts. Last year, Justin was the team who made his playoff debut. And sadly, he lost as a 5 seed to TC, who was on his way to a grand final run. 2018, Pete was the next team who'd made his playoff debut. He also lost as a 4 seed to Taylor. In 2018, though, we also had two teams who were debutants to the league, and both of them made the playoffs in their first year. Adam, who lost as a two-seed on debut to Seahorse on Seahorse's way to a grand final. And, of course, Seahorse himself, who'd beaten Tim and then Adam on his way to that grand final appearance. Now, the last thing I want to bring up before I leave is to go back one last time and talk about expected wins because I've been tinkering with this puppy for two years now and I think I've finally gotten a spot where it is pretty predictive of who's a good team and who's not who's winning above their means. I think it really does finally, finally, finally do what I am hoping it can do. And I think I would like to start with a couple of these playoff teams. Let's look at the Vinia Strokes, who were the number one overall seed. We know that through the course of the season, they were above average 10 times. They won 10 times. With how they scored in relation to the average each week, I'd tabbed out that they could have expected to have 10.8 wins. So it means probably somewhere along the line, they got a bad beat. And they did. They had a bad beat against Scuba back in week five when he threw up 142 points in a loss. That is the highest score ever by a losing team. And uh, it's quite incredible because $10 Booker that week threw up 146 points. It was one of the two times he scored 140 this year and one of the three times he scored over 100 this year. So just bad timing. It also means for having a bad loss along the way, potentially then too, because he also lost with a score of 113 in one of the weeks. He must have got a sad win, and he did get a sad win in week 12 where he only threw up a 91 and got the biscuits. Taking a quick look at our second seed too, which is Pete and Jiggity Jagged Edge. He turned out to be above average 11 times, and he had 10 wins. But the way he won, I tabbed out that he might have expected to have 10 wins. He did have a week where he did win with a score of 80 points. But every other week he won, he did it by the virtue of scoring above average and looking strong doing it. So I expected him to have 10 wins. He did have 10 wins, even though he'd scored above average 11 times. And his variance was zero. The Cornhuskers were the third seed. They were above average 10 weeks of the season this year. And... 
came up with nine wins. I tabbed out that they could have expected to have 9.6 wins. So again, a team who are right there at 0.6 below my expected wins calculation. The winner of the least division was Jackal. Now get this guy. He was above average just six times this year. He managed eight wins. He was expected to have 5.6 wins with the way he was scoring with relation to average. So it meant that his expected wins, 5.6, is almost where he was with weeks that he was above average, six. But because he got eight wins, he was 2.4 wins ahead of my expected wins metric. Here's your five seed, which is going to be Jolio from the south now since he just got enough points to outrun Brendox. He had been above average eight times this season. He got nine wins. You could have expected with the way he scored, because he did get a couple of sneaky little cheeky wins, that uh, he could have expected to have 6.9 wins. So he was above average eight times, but only 6.9 wins calculated for me, because some of those weeks that he was above average, he was above average by the barest of margins. There were weeks where uh, he was below average, but he was still getting expected win points because he was just within Kiwi of it. Weeks where he had 96 and 89 and 86 in weeks where you, know, you could get part of expected wins because the league average that week had been in the 90s. So he was doing just enough to continue to scrape up points that way. And uh, it turns out then, at the end of the day, with 6.9 expected wins and 9 total wins, he's 2.1 ahead of what I had him tapped out to be. The other one here who made the playoffs in uh, our league was Brendan, and he had been above average 10 times this year, which is exactly the same as Ryan in his own division. He had nine wins, which is exactly the same as Ryan in his division. And, I mean, this is one of these things where, because of the way he scored, I expected he could have had 10 wins and probably could have won this division. It turns out that he was only a point a week in scoring behind Ryan as well. So, you know, it's just one of these things where a coin flip can make a difference. And he did have a week where he got a win with an 86.8, but he also had a week where he lost with 122. So these things all kind of work out in the wash a little bit. He also had a week where he scored 104 and lost as well, where he was almost 10 clear points above average, where he would have garnered a full expected win and, uh, and still didn't get a win. So, you know, this is the way this metric works, is that it kind of shows, hey, if you actually took away how much you win and just compared yourself to the average of the league, what could you expect? And all of our six playoff teams, you got four of them within one win of what I expected they could win. And a couple who just really got some exciting wins out of places maybe they shouldn't. Jackal is a great example where he had wins where he scored 99 and 88 and uh, a couple of weeks where he just barely scraped over 100 and got wins as well. But then you see guys, you know, who... Like Justin, he had all these weeks where he was scoring 103, 110, 113, twice where he didn't win, 110 this week where he didn't win, and uh, he winds up 3.4 wins behind his expectation at 9.4 expected wins, and he only winds up with six. The second most robbed team in the league was my Carabao Kings at 1.3 behind, and I've only got myself to blame because, uh, you know, I lost to Jackal by by 0.28 in week three, and that's the difference between him being in the playoffs and me. G'day. It's Brian from Concerts That Made Us Podcast. I'm not really Australian, but you are listening to my favourite Australians. The Astro League. Sorry, Kylie Minogue. Hold me down. Hang on, before you go any further, for a sec there, I was going to ask to see your hands because we're on a Zoom call here and that was sounding like you are pleasuring yourself. And I'm like, I was about to ask you to start wearing oven mitts. Yeah, that was me thinking about Calvin Ridley earlier. All right, I think that's all I've got to do looking backwards. Let's start looking forwards. I'm going to have Taylor in here for the late week shows and we're going to give you a full wrap of the upcoming playoff games. There's only two games this week and I'm going to step out of doing playoff 
predictions and I'm going to step out of previewing games. We will continue doing start to the week. We will not continue doing Goober and Super, but we will have plenty to talk about. So come and join us for that one. My name is Matty C. I'm the host of the show. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. Go find us everywhere. We are at Astro League Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Astro League Pod. We're going to have some listener mail too, so make sure to get your listener mail in with Taylor. It is Astro League Podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you get it in there. And before I leave, I just wanted to do a very, very special Christmassy thing. I've changed our logo a bit to have a little beautiful little red ribbon over the O and uh, our kangaroo's wearing a Santa hat. And this will be in the Christmas tradition uh, night before Christmas. Hooroo, guys. I'll catch you in the late week. "'Twas the night before playoffs when all through the house. No Adam in sight, and that's pretty grouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, because for the first time, Jackal would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of touchdowns danced in their heads. When, in the wildcard round, there arose such a clatter, I rang Taylor to join me and explain that poo splatter. Away to the studio, I flew like a flash. I rang the big guy and began to line up the trash. When, what to my wondering eye did appear, but a slate of knockout games with no Carabao Kings shed a tear. The six teams with a stake on a title to claim, and it's time we got to know all of them by name. Now Vinegar Strokes, now Brendox Birdmen and Corn Huskers, now Jagged Edge and Sausage Dogs and Jerichals, Quarantinskers. It's an odd year, so we knew Ryan's Huskers would call. And Pete returns after two years outside the wall. While to have Brendox back in the finals, adds plenty of fizz. Little brother Joel arriving too, gets him ready to jizz. Jackal breaks a lifelong streak to make an appearance, while Taylor's the top seed, but his traits could be seen as interference. And then, in a twinkling that I heard on the roof, the big man himself with his burdens of proof. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney Taylor came with a leap and a bound. He was dressed in Titan's gear from his head to his assets, and his clothes were all tarnished with that loss to the Jets. So it's time to see if he's a total quack, or if he can repeat the feat of his stunning five-pack. Get him in here like a ballistic missile, and I'll shut up, not even a wi- Whistile. You might hear him exclaim as he comes into sight. Happy playoffs to all, and hope they're a good fight. That's pretty bad. My apologies. Play. Play it. This is the Astro League Fantasy Football Podcast. League-specific news, information, and stats. With your obnoxious commissioner, Maddie C.